The, the real reason is because they don't want you to know that they're stealing from you. That, that's, that's really the, the main thing. Uh, central bank-backed fiat mon money is, uh, is rather complicated, and most people have no idea how it works. I mean, like, these are people that are in Congress or, you know, like, you know, maybe even work for the feds like that. They, they yeah. don't understand how any of it works. Um, and they, they purposefully keep it that way because it, it's, uh, it lets them steal way more uh, resources from the people if people don't actually understand how it works, which is why you get sort of weird um, you know, explanations of what the Fed does or how it works or what, what it's supposed to do when you take like macroeconomics classes in college and so on. But mostly it's so that they can pull the wool over your eyes and just, uh, you know, pickpocket you while, while they do it. Um, and that's, that's the harsh and, uh, you know, uncomfortable truth that a lot of people aren't willing to face up to because in a sense, they grew up in this sort of system and they don't want to know about all of that. Um, and the sort of knowledge level about money is just so lacking uh, everywhere in the world. Like very few people understand you know, how central banks create money. They don't even understand how their own bank works, right? Like what fractional reserve lending is or anything like that. So um, in a sense, Bitcoin is the first sort of um, you know, system where you're incentivized to learn a lot about that stuff. And once you do, it just makes way more sense to use something like that. Hello, guys. Welcome once again to BitCorner, the podcast for Bitcoiners from El Salvadorian to the world. To the world. Uh, today, we have the big pleasure to have Jimmy Sun here. So Jimmy Sun, welcome and thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you, Jimmy. So I want to be very respectful with your time. So we're going to, into, into the subject, <laughs> right into it. Mm -hmm. So um, I was as I was telling you before we began the podcast. Uh, there's not a lot uh, content in Spanish, and uh, the all the education and and all the content that you provide to us uh, is really valuable. But uh, most of the time it's in English. So I want the mm -hmm. Salvador community and even the Latin American community get to know you guys because you're making mm -hmm. a, such a great job. So. Um, to begin, to start with the show, can you please introduce yourself and a little bit and uh, tell you, uh, tell us about your background a bit? Yeah, sure. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a programming dude, right? I, I've been programming since I was like nine years old. I've been on computers since I was nine years old. I've been programming professionally since I came out of college, and that was uh, almost twenty-five years ago, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but, you know, I've been, I've been programming in some capacity for a very long, long time. Um, and it was, I think, 12 years ago that I, I first, uh, you know, found Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, having sort of dabbled in it for a while, I decided to go sort of full time into it sometime 
in 2014. And, uh, and since then, I've, uh, I've written a bunch of books, uh, one for programmers to help them, you know, understand the Bitcoin protocol. Um, uh, another few books uh, from various different perspectives, uh, the Little Bitcoin book from a more uh, sort of like human rights perspective, Thanks, Thank God for Bitcoin, which is from a Christian perspective, and uh, Bitcoin mm-hmm. and the American Dream, which is uh, from a regulation political standpoint. So I have a lot of books to my name. I've been writing a lot. I, I do a lot of different things. It's uh, not too easy to classify exactly what I do, but you know, it, it's, I guess, easiest for uh, for people to think of me as a coder that happens to do podcasts and write articles. And uh, I want to ask you, you said that you are a programmer. So how do you, uh, how do you switch or when do you switch to, to Bitcoin? Because, well, or better, a better question will be, how was your rabbit hole journey? And when do you thought like, okay, this is legit. I want to do this because... Uh, I think this is uh, really valuable. Such as yeah. So yeah. I I first heard about it in 2011, and mm-hmm. um, when I heard about it, uh, for most people, it takes a while to sort of like get used to the idea. And you usually the first instinct for a lot of people is this is a scam or something like that. But I, I was fortunate because I had the right background to understand it. I was a math major. Um, I've been a programmer a long time, so. I understood reasonably how Bitcoin could work. And then the other side was the economic aspect, which I think in many ways is more important. I, I studied some Austrian economics and uh, you know how money comes into existence and stuff like that after 2008. So when I first heard about Bitcoin in 2011, it really kind of clicked almost right away. Uh, that doesn't mean that I bought Bitcoin right away, uh, but I, I did sort of learn about it. Um, and a couple of years later, when there was a sort of like the second Bitcoin bubble, I went from somewhere around $10 to 266 in a matter of like four months. Um, that's when I really sort of started thinking, okay, I, I, I need to learn this at a deeper level. Um, and you know, that summer and later that fall, you know, Bitcoin went to 1100 and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was, I was doing some programming work, um, you know, doing some open source uh, stuff and I was getting paid for it. Um, interestingly enough, I'm a guy in Ukraine. Um, so, and I was getting paid in Bitcoin. So immediately I was like, wow, this is awesome. I'm programming. There's no middleman. There's no company. And this guy's just straight paying me to work on code. Um, so that that was sort of my first uh, exposure to Bitcoin, I guess, as sort of this transnational currency. And uh, soon after that, I decided, okay, I, I really need to make this my career. I need to do something that incorporates this into my life because I was already pretty obsessed with it. And, you know, I, I uh, worked for a few different Bitcoin companies afterwards. And it was, um, you know, it was a, uh, rewarding experience uh, and then eventually i went off on my own to teach courses to show developers how to program bitcoin and so on oh wow that's amazing uh you mentioned that you studied economics and actually i have a, a question about it because um mm-hmm. why do you think that we didn't get and still i think new generations like c generations 
they still don't get in college or in schools, even in universities, uh, the real story of money because um, we we don't get that perspective. I mean, we, we don't. Most people don't know about Bretton Woods Agreement. I, I'm uh -huh. okay. I I do, but because I love the Second World War history, history mm -hmm. and everything. But even but that time when when I was watching documentaries about the Second World War, I didn't get exactly what was the Bretton Woods Agreement. It was until mm -hmm. C.P. Dean with his book and uh, mm -hmm. we got the real story of money. Why do you think that? any system because i have i have talked with people from around the world and every single system and even their countries we don't get the education about about the real story of money what do you think is that well the the real reason is because they don't want you to know that they're stealing from you that that's that's really the the main thing uh, central bank backed fiat mon money is uh, is rather complicated and most people have no idea how it works i mean like these are people that are in congress or you know like you know maybe even work for the fed and stuff like that they, they yeah. don't understand how any of it works um and they they purposefully keep it that way because it it's uh it lets them steal way more uh resources from the people if people don't actually understand how it works which is why you get sort of weird um you know explanations of what the fed does or how it works or what what it's supposed to do when you take like macro economics classes in college and so on but mostly it's so that they can pull the wool over your eyes and just uh you know pickpocket you while while they do it um and that's that's the harsh and uh you know uncomfortable truth that a lot of people aren't willing to face up to because in a sense, they grew up in this sort of system and they don't want to know about all of that. Um, and the sort of knowledge level about money is just so lacking uh, everywhere in the world. Like very few people understand you know, how central banks create money. They don't even understand how their own bank works, right? Like what fractional reserve lending is or anything like that. So um, in a sense, Bitcoin is the first sort of... Um, you know, system where you're incentivized to learn a lot about that stuff. And once you do, it just makes way more sense to use something like Bitcoin. I want to ask you uh, another question that I think is more important, especially right now. And what are the difference between, now that you mentioned central banks, between CBDCs and Bitcoins and why people should be concerned about it? Yeah, uh, CBDC stand for, uh, stands for Central Bank Digital Currencies, um, and they are sort of like a, a central planner's wet dream. They, 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 they love the concept because they can control almost every aspect. Um, and they're, the more authoritarian the country, the more enthusiastic they are about CBDC. So, for example, China is very strongly into CBDCs, and for good reason. Um, it's very efficient from their perspective. If you think about it, they're already sort of a massive surveillance state and they mm -hmm. want to keep tabs on what their citizens are doing. They want to be able to sort of like shut down a riot that happens in one area or something like that almost instantly. Um, and you, you saw a lot of this authoritarian control during COVID. Now what CBDCs let you do is essentially cut out the middleman. Right now, the middleman in any sort of like central banking system 
are commercial and retail banks. These are the banks that you go to to get a loan or to you know get a mortgage or um, you know deposit money or whatever. And most governments, what they do is they deputize these banks to have them report back to them on the activities of each person. So there are all these things called AML KYC laws, anti-money laundering, and know your customer. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that the bank is regulated and they have to report certain things to the government. So in the United States, for example, any transaction above $5,000 that you conduct through a bank, they report report to the government, whether it's the IRS or other agencies, there's probably multiple ones. Mm -hmm. But the, the, this is um, kind of inefficient, right? Because there's this bank sitting in the middle and you have to make sure that they're in compliance and you have to collect data from them. It's on, in all kinds of different formats and whatever. What you could do with a CBDC is have a direct relationship with every single citizen. So this is the plan that China is planning, which is Instead of having a checking account at Wells Fargo or, you know, uh, ABN AMRO or whatever, whatever bank, mm -hmm. um, you have an account instead at the central bank. And that's, that's, that's your account. And now they know everything about you, including everything that you buy, everything that you use money for, which is pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, instead of having to use uh, banks to get all of that data, uh, which they're getting anyway, but this will make it so much more efficient. So that's, that's the sort of like world we're going to see with CBDCs. People are going to, um, you know, have, uh, well, the government's going to have all of this data, which is, first of all, a giant honeypot that a hacker can go in and do something with. Uh, yeah. But second, it's, it, they have all of that data. They can figure out that you're buying books that they don't like or something like that. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a huge encroachment on civil liberties. Um, so that that's the real danger of CBDCs. Now, Bitcoin doesn't have a central controller. It's decentralized. And any if you're careful enough, any transaction that you do is more or less untraceable. Uh, now, you, you have to know what you're doing to get that untraceability. And maybe sometimes you don't care, right? Like if you're buying a coffee, it's okay if, you know, somebody's willing to spend a lot of money to figure out that I bought coffee, whatever. Um, but there, there's this ability to, uh, you know, stay off of, of the radar of central banks and so on, which is what makes it so valuable, and which is why so many services like VPNs, you know, take Bitcoin. It, it, it lets them like not have to know anything about you. And this is something that I'm seeing a lot more of as I travel is that a lot of countries are sort of not just using banks now, they use telephone providers or cell phone providers to learn a lot more about you. If you want like a, uh, you know, SIM card in certain countries, you have to go to an authorized place and you have to show them your passport and they have to, mm -hmm. they, they know exactly who you are. And, uh, you know, th this is sort of like the Orwellian nightmare that we're coming to, which is that, you know, they, they can surveil things at multiple different levels. Bitcoin is our one weapon against all of them. Yeah, so uh, talking about uh, KYCs, uh, mm -hmm. right now, like United States or even here, I, I live in Spain, by the way, uh, even mm -hmm. in, in the EU, right now they are trying to, mm -hmm. well, for a couple of months or even years, they're planning to uh, pass a bill about KYC. 
but for mm -hmm. cold storage wallets. So mm -hmm. can you just play people? Why is that a bad idea? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, it's uh, it's kind mm -hmm. of a very difficult thing to enforce, and I don't. I, I think the people that are writing these laws think that there's some central entity that controls all of this stuff. In which case, they could just subpoena that one entity and say, "Give us all your data." which is more or less how governments have approached uh, all, all of this stuff is anytime they think something bad is happening, they find the central uh, party that has all of the data and make them give it to them uh, or say, okay, you need to enforce this and deputize them for the purposes of enforcement or something like that. Uh, with Bitcoin, that doesn't exist. So uh, what they're trying to do is enforce something that vast majority of people are just going to ignore because there's no way for them to know like how like how do you kyc something like that at what at mm -hmm. what juncture there's, there's no central controller now they can do something with exchanges but not all bitcoin flows through exchanges you can do peer-to-peer -peer and so on which is how a lot of uh bitcoin uh exchanging works these days so you know, all that said, I, it's it's just sort of uh, bureaucrats being bureaucrats and they don't really understand what Bitcoin is, which is why they're attempting to do something that doesn't really make sense or makes as much sense as a square circle. You have been in El Salvador several times, right? <laughs> so, mm -hmm. well, before going into what you were doing there, uh, do you like the country? How, how was your first experience there? And uh, do you heard about it uh, way before Bitcoin because of because of Bitcoin? Or how was your your first experience there? Yeah, I mean, I I knew that the country existed before you know the Bitcoin Beach stuff blew up, uh, but I, I I had no desire to go there or anything. Yeah, like of that course. Until the Bitcoin stuff happened, and uh, and for one reason or another, the uh, I couldn't go to the major conference there but um but i did go a couple of months later on my own and i spent a week hanging out and observing all of that um I, I was pretty impressed with the country and how it was progressing along with uh the, all, all of the bitcoin stuff and uh and i visited six months later and uh and this was last summer and i noticed some changes and i i think this is a credit to you know the uh government officials and the people that are actually building the place up you know mm -hmm. there are bike lanes in san salvador which weren't there before and i was like oh wow this is new this this is something that i didn't expect and you know it's it's becoming a more livable city there's uh you know construction starting to go up and things like that which uh which to me is like uh, an indicator okay this is becoming a desirable place to be um so i i mean obviously it wasn't as developed as uh, you know some Western countries or whatever, but the um, for me seeing the delta between the first time I went there and the second time went there, I went there and sort of the rapid change that's happening uh, impressed me, uh, and that that's what gives me a lot of hope for the country because it's uh, it's not standing still. Uh, you know, a lot of places, you know, you go once and then you go back and it's pretty much the same um that those are those are places that are dying or have no vitality whatsoever but th this is an obvious place where things are happening and uh you know things are improving and that that's uh that's wonderful i, I i'm happy for the people of el salvador for that uh, i'm glad i'm glad that you have that 
those uh, positive experience there. So you mentioned that uh, you were last summer there and you held your programming Bitcoin course, right? There. So, mm -hmm. uh, so for people that don't know what is that about, what what is programming Bitcoin your course and essentially what programming programming Bitcoin means for people that don't yeah. know that. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I like I said, I'm a programmer, and uh, starting in 2013, I learned the protocol and I started doing programming things with it. Uh, so, you know, uh, companies need developers to understand Bitcoin so they can program against it and do do various things. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a very frustrating experience for me, sort of um, learning it because the documentation's all over the place, and there's no one really to teach you all of the basics and stuff like that, which is Uh, why I started teaching people, um, even while I was working for different Bitcoin companies, you get a new developer, they didn't know what they were doing, and I would try to explain to them what's going on. And eventually, I just uh, came up with a course and, uh, and you know, started training developers at these companies. And then I started doing this on my own, uh, you know, offering it to the public uh, starting in 2017. And I've, I've been uh, running this course ever since as a way to train developers on Bitcoin because there's enough of a demand in the industry. There's enough of a demand among developers. Um, and that, that's what I did. Now, the El Salvador one that I did last summer was uh, a bit unique in the sense that this was sponsored by Max and Stacy uh, with different companies to bring more developers to El Salvador because... Um, you know, I mean, you could hire developers from other places, but I think if you really want to get in on Bitcoin, you want more native talent and for mm -hmm. people to um, really get into it and teach other people. So, um, you know, they uh, got some scholarships. We, we uh, you know, put out a call to a lot of people to see if they could qualify. And we uh, trained like eight different people. And it was a, it was a great experience. Um, you know, they... Uh, I think uh, a few of them, one, one of them was even like sort of anti-Bukele before that. And really? afterwards was like, okay, yeah, like, like you know, just uh, understood the power of it. And, uh, you know, he, he was glad about it. And, you know, I told them at the end, like, you know, your your country is, you know, behind you on this. They, they want you to um, really get Bitcoin and... Uh, and you know contribute to this economy and you know you're you're the vanguard of probably hopefully many many more developers uh that that are going to come so uh you know it, it was a great experience I, i enjoyed it and if i get another chance to do it i certainly would and you know um the the big uh hard part is really just finding enough candidates that, that are worthy of scholarships and mm. you know i i don't know um you know, how to find those people. And, uh, you know, I, I speak English and not Spanish. And obviously, like, you know, having Spanish would be much more integral to getting the word out and stuff like that and having connections at universities or whatever. So, mm. you know, at some point, I would love to do it again with a lot more people and get them all trained. Oh, wow. And uh, you mentioned Bukele. And uh, I mm -hmm. also heard that one of the, your bro the, of his brothers took your, your course, right? <laughs> well, he didn't, he didn't take the course, but I, I I did have like a sort of a question I give to see if people are worthy of a scholarship, and he got oh, it. Okay. So it, was, it was just sort of like, 
okay, this guy could probably be a pretty good coder, but instead he's uh, doing what he he can for the people of El Salvador. Okay. Um, okay. So, and uh, have you ever met Bukele like in person or something? How, or... I, I have not. I just met his yeah. brother. I, I've met several, you know, people that are in government, but not, mm -hmm. not Bukele himself. Then. And uh, do you think that Bitcoin uh, eventually will become uh, like a, a global reserve asset, or do you think it will uh, eventually? And uh, how how do you think it's going to evolve? Because we have seen that my start my country started, and then uh, South mm -hmm. uh, the Central African Republic. And uh, how mm -hmm. how do you see it that it will evolve? Yeah, so it, it's going to be. Uh, slow going for a while and then I think it'll happen pretty suddenly because uh, for the moment like everyone uses the dollar as their reserve currency and until the dollar starts hyperinflating uh, I, I think that's what people are going to standardize on and I've, I've been all over the world and every single place they'll take the dollar <laughs> they, they don't yeah. mind the dollar in the least right uh, because it's so liquid uh, mm -hmm. and it's uh, it's something that everyone will take and that's that's sort of its uh, the the main appeal about it, um, but you know even the dollar is sort of expanding at a pretty fast rate. So we're getting nine ten percent inflation on uh, on the dollar according to the CPI. Mm -hmm. You know that stuff starts biting into your profit margins and stuff like that, and you need to you know put it into another asset to store your value. And I think that's. <clears throat> That's where it'll really come in. Um, you know, when, when we see sort of like the first hyperinflating country not going to the dollar, but going into Bitcoin, that that's when we'll really have made it. But that that's going to take a while because in a sense, the dollar is still pretty stable <clears throat> and, uh, and people aren't losing enough money to make it worthwhile to switch to something else. Uh, but we're getting there, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, when, when inflation's at like 40 or 50%, um, you know, like you, you switch to the dollar, but you know, if the dollar is 40 to 50%, then that's, that, that's when we're really going to see that happen. Okay. Yeah. And another question that I want, I want to ask you is that, uh, <coughs> one in one of my, in one of my previous episodes, someone, uh, made a comment about uh, Monero and I know you don't, you don't, li you don't like uh, uh, shit coins or ad coins so for those uh -huh. people can, can you explain them um, what is the difference but most importantly uh, I think one of the main questions that people always ask me and I think you know better the answer why these all shit coins or ad coins will never be decentralized as Bitcoin because of, of the property yeah I, because it's because they all have some central single point of failure now if it's something like ethereum that's very obvious right somebody issued all of the tokens there was a pre-mine there was a pre-sale and there's somebody making decisions to go to ethereum 2.0 and there's stakers and all there's like 18 different levels of single points of failure um, with something like Monero, people tend to give it, uh, you know, be a lot more lax about those standards just because, you know, it has privacy and stuff. And that's true. It does have uh, some level of privacy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is that there is a sort of the central developer community that 
can hard fork whenever they want. And in fact, for a while there, they they were hard forking every six months. And that that's um, there was one hard fork in particular where these other three projects said, okay, well, you you're gonna hard fork, we're gonna continue and whatever. And you know, though all of them died, whereas the one that they decreed was Monero kept going. And you have to upgrade, right? If you don't upgrade, then you're no longer on Monero. So somebody decides for you what Monero is instead of you defining it for yourself. With Bitcoin, I run my own node. And if somebody says, this isn't Bitcoin, it's, it's something else, I don't have to listen to them. And, and in fact, this is exactly what happened in 2017, where mm-hmm. you know a bunch of people said, well, the real Bitcoin is this uh, thing called Bitcoin Cash. And mm-hmm. a large number of people said, no, that's not Bitcoin. Uh, you can't do that with Monero. You can't do that with all of these altcoins. The the people in charge get to tell you what that coin is. And if you don't upgrade, then you're out of consensus and you you don't have any recourse. And they can change the rules whenever they want. So, for example, uh, you know they can decide all of a sudden uh, we don't like miners making this much money, so we're going mm-hmm. to, to change it to this other thing, which is exactly what you know Ethereum and, and so on. Mm-hmm. So. You know, it, it's all coins are really fiat 2.0. So there's still a central controller. They and they they change the rules and do whatever they want. Uh, it's just not a government central bank. It's just somebody else, and that that that's that's the big difference. Um, so, you know, Bitcoin is decentralized. Everything else is centralized, and this this is the big difference that you really need to understand. And something that I hope to eventually write a book about. Okay, thank you, Jimmy. And uh, going back to El Salvador, because I I forgot to ask you a question about it. Uh, you probably recently heard that the Texas Bitcoin Foundation and and the El Salvador government are uh, opening the the second Bitcoin embassy in the world, and it's going to be in mm-hmm. Texas. Uh, and well, it's involved Max and Stacy and mm-hmm. Natalie Smolensky, and. Uh, so what I was going to ask you. Uh, so so uh, what are the benefits for for do, for both parts or even um, why do you think that they are making the, these Bitcoin embassies and what are the benefits for for both parts that are involved in this project in those projects? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was around for the Switzerland one. So I was in Lugano when they opened the uh, sort of Bitcoin okay. embassy there. Um, I, I think the main idea is that these places are, uh, you know, local governments where they can sort of trade ideas and figure out what works and see see if you can sort of tie uh, them together in a in a way that's uh, that's beneficial to all parties. Uh, and this is just sort of like the main thing about trade that's so beneficial is that you know one party can give uh, some. Uh, something to the other party that they find more valuable and vice versa. And th- this is uh, this has happened in every human culture. Whenever you have, you know, two groups meet, they want to trick and this, uh, and it benefits everybody. So I, I think these uh, Bitcoin embassies are ways to um, sort of benefit everybody that are, uh, that are involved, uh, particularly for government officials. It's, uh, you know, for local stuff and local jobs. Um, if, if you, uh, if you had this resource available and you have closer ties to places that aren't necessarily like 
right next door or something like that. There, there can be significant economic benefits. So I think that's the main idea. Uh, of course, I don't really know because I'm, yeah. I'm not part of that program, um, but that that's uh, what I would think would be the main thing. Okay, perfect. Uh, so, Jimmy, uh, I told you at the beginning of the, of the podcast that we have a section on the show that all the, that we all do with, with our guests, and it's called Hard, Hard Truths. Uh, I'm going to mm -hmm. send you uh, the link so you can play. Uh, so, mm -hmm. basically, what the game is, uh, rock, paper, scissors, three times, and, mm -hmm. uh, and the loser have to pick a random question about that list that I, that I just sent you. It's, it's not related to Bitcoin, well, our audience uh, already know, it's not related about Bitcoin, it's related about our life. There are silly questions, so can people uh -huh. get to know us, because at the end we are all, are all humans, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. so, sure, sure. <laughs> so we're going to play it uh, three times. And that's it, and mm -hmm. we, we get put to the show. So are you, are you ready? Right, so rock papers. Uh huh. When I say scissors, it's we show it. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, seventeen. Seventeen. All right. <laughs> Let's see. So, right. seven... why don't you ask me the question? So I can yeah, I, I'm going to ask you the question. Uh, which was your favorite rock band in high school? In high school? Uh, probably, well, I didn't really listen to music in high school, uh, which probably sounds weird, but I don't know. Mm -hmm. like, I, <laughs> I, I, like if I did listen to music, it was Christian music. Um, oh, okay. So, so uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't really listen to <laughs> okay okay no it doesn't matter okay and some people but you see now people are getting to know you <laughs> no <Okay>. sure <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. one i have a prepare a prepared question that i wanted to ask you and it was like mm -hmm. uh what do you believe are the most important technical and social challenges that people will need to overcome in the next decade and how do you see the, the bitcoin community addressing these challenges yeah, I, the the main thing is, is sort of the surveillance state getting very, very strong. Um, the technology is there to sort of, you know, process all of this and figure out who's doing what. And um, it's going to get way more intrusive over the next uh, few decades. Uh, I mean, as it is, like Google knows or Apple knows probably significant amounts about you and uh, all of these payment processors and stuff know a lot about you uh so you know a lot of that is going to be start being used for political oppression and stuff like that uh, which we kind of saw in canada with like the trucker mm -hmm. stuff um so you know i i suspect that that's going to be a big part but you know more than that is sort of like this big economic uh, collapse that I think will happen in the next 20 years or so. Uh, we've been living on borrowed time for a very long time. And, you know, um, we saw something of an economic crisis with COVID, but there's probably another one coming that's going to be even worse. Way worse. I, yeah. I don't know exactly. Yeah. So th those are the realities that I think you have to kind of think, think about. And both of those are solved with Bitcoin to some degree. If you're saving in Bitcoin, you're not going to have your wealth confiscated away. 
And if you uh, use Bitcoin, it's going to give you a lot more privacy. So both of those things, I think, um, you know, are major challenges coming up in the future. And, you know, coincidentally, uh, Bitcoin fixes both of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so I think we have like five minutes. So, um, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to start to wrap it up. But bef before that, uh, uh, what advice will you give to someone who is new to Bitcoin and looking to get involved with with all of this? Yeah, um, I, I would say that first level up your game. The more you study, the better you're going to understand this stuff. And uh, and usually people don't study it until until they buy some. So if you're at zero, get off of zero and, and then start studying it because it's part of your investment. So. If you, uh, you know, own a little bit of Bitcoin, you'll be much more motivated to go study it. Um, and, you know, the more you study, the more it'll make sense and the more you'll understand sort of like the depth of it, especially the economics aspect and the social change and everything else. Um, and, you know, the that level of sort of discipline to really learn something is, uh, is rather rare in today's world. And, the more you do stuff like that, the better a person you'll become. So generally, I, I think uh, the main advice would be go level up your game, go study Bitcoin and really get to know it and understand it. Um, and once you do, then, you know, the path forward will hopefully be a lot more clear. Okay, perfect. And I think one question that everyone, or I don't know, probably they ask you, but why the hat? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wear the hat for three different reasons. Uh, the first one is because I'm from Texas. And uh, and if you know anything about Texans, it's that uh, they want you to know that they're from Texas within the first five minutes. Of the year. Mm -hmm. And this is a very effective way for <laughs> to let people know that I'm from Texas. I wear mm -hmm. the hat and, you know, there you go. It's, uh, oh, you're from Texas. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, second reason is uh, is because I do work in Bitcoin and I speak a lot on this stuff. And I wear the hat because it's a lot like the Wild West. It's got a lot of opportunity, but a lot of danger as well. And uh, it, it's sort of representing both sides to it. Uh, there's, you know, you, you do have the hardest, most sound money and the best savings vehicle ever. But you also have all these altcoins and scammers and people that want to take your money. So you have to be very careful as well. So, you know, the hat represents both of those things. And finally, the third reason is because I love that 1800s old bus there. And, uh, and that era was defined for me, at least, uh, with mm -hmm. this phrase, go west, go west. Now, what, what, what did this phrase mean? Go West was a way of telling young people, hey, you should go out to where the frontier is. Because mm -hmm. if you were a baker or a lawyer or an accountant or a cobbler or whatever you were, you had a lot of competition out East where all the people were. You, If you're a baker, for example, you're competing against bakers that have been baking for 30 years, right? You, you have to somehow compete with them and come up with, uh, you know, better baking so that you can beat them at their own game and, and steal their customers, something like that. Instead, if you're a young person 
and you wanted to establish your career, the advice was go Western. Why? Because there were lots of people out West and whatever you did, there was a market for it. And there weren't that many, there, there wasn't as much competition. The hat is about the frontier. Because if you go out West, go to where the people are going to be and not where people already are, you're going to have a lot more success. You can blaze your own path. You can do things and not have to, you know, uh, wait 40 years to become assistant professor at like a university or something, or wait 40 years to make C-suite, you know, uh, executive at a major company or something. You can go and do things on your own. And that's the power of Bitcoin because it is a new frontier. It's a new place where you can blaze your own path. You don't have to do something that everyone else has done. And that's the message that I tried to give with this hat. And, um, you know, whenever I talk about it, uh, you know, hopefully people understand what, what that's all about. Yeah! Wow, that, that's that's amazing and also deep, but uh, it's it's a really amazing message. So, uh, Jimmy, just two last questions, and uh, one is maybe related about your hat because uh, is what has Bitcoin uh, contributed the most in your life? Um, I think it uh, it's not really. Bitcoin per se, but it's getting out of the fiat world that's contributed a significant amount. And you don't really realize how much of the fiat world is like corrupting your mind until you're really out of it. Mm -hmm. So when I first uh, sort of like quit my fiat job and you know started doing these seminars and stuff like that, I realized just how much of my identity, how much of my opinions, how many of my thoughts were tied to the job that I had um, and how much I conform to other things instead of examining things from first principles. So coming out of that and sort of doing things on my own, uh, it really sort of like made me think about almost everything in a new way. Uh, and that's been extremely valuable to me because I think I've become a lot more authentic. I think I've become a lot uh, freer in my opinions and understanding who I am instead of sort of conforming to what other, what I think other people want to hear. Um, and unfortunately in a fiat world, a lot of people do that for a very long time. So this has been very um, good for my soul to have that perspective. Okay. And uh the last question, Jimmy, is that uh, what are your personal goals uh, for this year or even with Bitcoin? I, I mean, I'm, I'm traveling right now and uh, it's to get back home safely. So that, that's going to take a few more months. Uh, but the, the main one is, uh, is writing a book. Um, I'm, I'm finishing it up and uh, hopefully we'll be out sometime in September or something like that. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, uh, and it's a Bitcoin book, so that'll be a fun one. Um, yeah, that those would be the main things. Okay, perfect. Uh, so, Jimmy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time, and thank you for giving us your perspective and also your knowledge about, about Bitcoin. Thank you. <laughs> okay, see you guys the next week. Ciao.